Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who I just know would crack every single one of my ribs before being CPR. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Listen, you've got to go at it with the understanding that you might crack some ribs, like you've got to apply sufficient pressure that, that rib cracking is a possibility. And, you know, once I've cracked one of your ribs and I'm there, mm-hmm. might as well, mm-hmm. you know, leave a, leave a sign that, I, that I'd been there <laughs> on your body. A Nathan A. Clark call sign. Yeah. On your body. Jesus, you made that sound so seedy. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, absolutely. Wasn't David Ginler just brilliant during that whole section of the, um, of the presentation? I, I thought he spoke so wonderfully and obviously from experience, um, and from a place of real knowledge. It was quite unusual, like, to have that kind of off the cuff expertise in the Sky Sports studio. I was very pleasantly surprised and they certainly had the right man there for the moment. And we'll talk about that situation in a bit, of course. Um, thank you very much to Matty D1710 and Dr. JW for your very kind iTunes reviews. It's always nice to get iTunes reviews and they were um, very nice. Five star reviews. Please do feel free to, to leave your own five star review if you like our podcast. Um, I also wanted to give a bit of a shout out and also a call to action to a group of volunteers who are supporting the Tottenham Food Bank every home match. So uh, Rush Child is one of the people that, that helps organise mm. this and is there every time. You'll find them at the van outside the community centre on the high road every Premier League home game for a couple of hours until an hour before kickoff. Uh, if you check the Tottenham Food Bank Twitter feed to check what donations are preferred, that would be really helpful. It's at Tot, T-O-T-T, Food Bank. Uh, and and your support, I think, would be hugely appreciated. They do a wonderful thing for the local community. Nathan, you have been beavering away on a Giovanni Lo Celso video this week. Yes. <laughs> um, basically, uh, he's been playing really well for Argentina again, whilst, you know, not getting minutes for Spurs at all. And th- there is a connection there in that you can tell that, like, Royale and Romero were kind of tired before the match started. And so it's going to be a similar situation with the Celso and there's quarantining and all that kind of nonsense. But basically, he's like lighting it up for his, for his country and is sort of a very peripheral person for, for Spurs right now. So I wanted to, um, basically we watched some Spurs clips and we watched some Argentina clips and we had some takes. Good takes. I enjoyed the takes. <laughs> yeah. I think I enjoyed them because they, they tallied with my own. It was like confirmation bias. Um, I like that. But yeah, you drew some of the sort of same conclusions that I've drawn uh, in recent weeks. Unlike many people, I'm absolutely fine with Lo playing from the right. Um, that's something you mentioned in a video. I, I think the way he plays, his stance, the way he receives the ball, quite suit being on the wing, gets to see more of the pitch. And I'm definitely open to that concept. Uh, it was interesting sort of seeing him playing in a very similar way to for Argentina to how he does for Spurs, i.e. Yes. very frantic all the time. And I was just left thinking, oh my goodness, how good would this guy be in a Marcelo Bielsa team or a, dare I say, Maurizio Pochettino team? There's just no need for that, Chris. So well suited. Good stuff, Nathan. More gold on the Patreon. And Bardi, how have you been? Well, I've been pretty good, Wendy. It's been a busy old weekend of painting and chopping things and putting things in the house. Um, trying and to get my dad under control. And gravel. Uh, 800 kilos of gravel arrived, and that was quite the quite the effort. Yeah, my dad just turned up on a whim and was just like, "Let's let's unload this 800 kilos." I'm like, "Dad, I'm I'm, I'm at work." <laughs> 
So I had to, to book off half an hour and we got stuck in and did it all in half an hour. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then he took a, he took a giant jigsaw to my beautiful worktop. And as he was halfway through chopping it, I was just like, maybe this is a bit of a mistake. Maybe we shouldn't have done it. But he, he, he was committed and he went through and it did all right in the end. He's not too bad. My, my father's a brilliant man, but he's not the most um, polished of people. He doesn't leave straight lines, uh, but he did a good job at this. So I'm, I'm happy. And he went home happy. When you first showed us the picture of the worktop and the sort of wonky line that he'd cut. <laughs> I was just imagining your face, just like the head shake. It's not me that I really worry about. It's my wife. She's um, she would have if she had she seen the first iteration of the gap, <laughs> she would have kicked off. It was like that VAR line. Do you remember that? Time yeah, they did? yeah. It was exactly like that. He he had promised me a straight line, but he didn't quite deliver it. Bless him. Let's uh, let's get stuck into talking about a Spurs victory. Um, always nice to to win away. Um, nice to sort of ruin Newcastle's big day as well because yeah. of what that horrific ownership means for Sky Sports big day. Oh my god! Mm, yeah, hell. what sickening presentation of the whole thing. And yeah, I mean, the, to be fair, match of the day weren't much better. They were they were all over it too. And the American coverage on NBC from Arlo White was was heavily heavily criticised, which meant Arlo White took to Twitter to try to argue with uh, well with Joel, who occasionally yeah. listens to the podcast and is a civil rights lawyer, and told a civil rights lawyer to stick to his area of expertise when they were discussing civil rights. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Uh, just, just a total mess from, from every single bit of coverage, um, uh, you know, across the, the Northern Hemisphere of, yeah. of Premier League football because of the, the joy about the prospect of, of more money inflated pumped into the Premier League, which is already enormous and, and no concern for where that money is coming from and why. And in fact, with that parroting the line that, um, that Newcastle's ownership, which is, um, the, 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 I've lost the words. The fund is the, the sovereign wealth fund of, of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is in fact not the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I, uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's utterly uh, ludicrous, but this is, this is, this is Britain. This is our, this is what we do. This is our government. This is what we turn a blind eye to now in 2021. And it's completely and utterly unsurprising. I mean, you only need to have glanced at the Russia reports to know what our government is up to. You, I mean, we know that they sell arms to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which are then used to kill innocents. We know that during the pandemic, cronies of the government have profited with huge contracts to deliver PPE, some of which then um, was faulty and unable to be used. Uh, cronies profited from setting up businesses that then run testing centres, some of which now are uh, returning false negatives, which means people are out there spreading COVID, having been told they're all clear and they're not. This is because of corruption in our government. Uh, and the, and the, the Newcastle takeover smells of similar things to me. It's, it's, it's something that's been waved through because it suits people in the higher echelons of society who, who benefit from this further down the line. Um, it is absolutely sickening the way that this has just been glossed over by the media. Most of the media, not all of the media. Well, not even glossed over, but like celebrated, glorified. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're completely right. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. Celebrated. Of what a big day this was for Newcastle. Um, yeah. You know that the, the come there. There are finally they'll have their day in the sun. You know, <laughs> it's like really you want your day in that sun. I don't know. I mean. I, I feel like we can have an interesting discussion about this because I feel like Bardi might feel slightly differently. Um, <laughs> it, 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 if if Spurs had been taken over by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, I wouldn't consider myself a Spurs fan anymore. I just I just don't think I could. And it's not it's not just because of the um, human rights issues, although that is obviously the the main issue. It's like the anti competitiveness of the whole thing. You're sure. just buying success. What's the point? What's the point of doing it anymore? Um, but Barney, you're you're desperate for us to be taken over by someone wealthy, aren't you? I mean, I think we should probably talk about the football before we before we get into. Do you want to push this back? Yeah, I think we have a whole section on this. I think he's, right. kicking, he's kicking it into the long grass, Nathan. <laughs> Just, let's park he's giving himself idea. time to, to to work through it. Mm. Let's park this idea. Let's, let's talk enough. about let's talk All about right. beating Newcastle first. But I would like just a little tip if you if you are fed up with the the Sky punditry and the US punditry. I I had a fabulous time watching it on Argentinian ESPN because oh nice. Not it, I'm not I'm not going to grasp myself up. It wasn't my 
um, little stick that I stick in the back of the, in the back of the TV. It was someone else's that just fell over and landed in my TV, and I I watched <laughs> it quite nicely on Argentinian TV. Not one bit of buffering. It was perfect. Nice, nice. Yeah. So okay, let's uh, let's get stuck into the game, and I'll come down off my high horse for a few minutes. <laughs> um, three... Stick to football. Stick is about football, Wendy. Come on, mate. Yeah, keep politics out of football and all that. <laughs> Oh my god! This just reminded me. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to comment on. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to comment on Solskjaer saying that Rashford needs to focus on his game and just. Oh my god! But I, I need to rein myself in. Um, <laughs> we won three two. Yay! Um, Bardi, did you think that was a, a resounding success that game? First of all, I think I think newcastle the best team newcastle could have played with the on the back of all this narrative was tottenham <laughs> just because that's just how it works but the worst team that could have played with all this narrative behind them is newcastle so somehow these two teams that were the perfect perfect teams for each other kind of cancelled out newcastle fell away and we won i did think for the first four minutes that we were just going to get blown away by this newfound yep. enthusiasm and just pressing and running and tackling because that's what they did for the first they five did minutes. they really did they came out of the blocks like a Klops team on a lot of asthma inhalers. And it was just incredible <laughs> to watch. And I, I, I was concerned about us. But then you can only keep that up for so long. And then they fell away. And we're lucky that we, we're not the best team in the world, but we do have some fabulous players. Mm-hmm. That if you give them the ball in the right, in the right place, well, you know, if you, I think you said, Wendy, if a team like Newcastle wants to come and throw punches at us and we throw punches back at them, majority of the time we'll win those matches. And that's kind of what happened in this game. Yeah, it was kind of a, a back and forth game for a lot of the match, and that very much suits us having mm. superior players. Um, I kind of I felt okay about things the first time we broke the lines, and that was Pierre Emile Huibier played this really nice pass um, into Ndombele, who had a shot which was like easily blocked, but it just sort of showed me how easy Newcastle midfield were going to be to play through. And from yeah. that moment on, I just felt we're going to be okay here. You know, conceding an early goal aside, we're going to be just fine. Um, Nathan, what did you make of it? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like. Some people are really happy about that performance, and I don't want to like ruin their <laughs> joy. <laughs> um, I still have some concerns. I think that, like, yeah, a lot of a lot of the things that worked out for us in that game, which is essentially um, like Skip and Hovier having time on the ball to pick out a pass, mm-hmm. and Dombele being allowed to sort of freely move into the channels or deep to receive without Newcastle like following him or punishing that through other means um or just sort of blocking off the pass or whatever like better teams aren't gonna i don't think allow us to do that um but nonetheless it happened and i think that like you know there are definitely significant positives to take from this in terms of like the fitness of kane and dombele in terms of like another good pressing display um what else was there yeah good performance from both fullbacks i think um i think uh results are sort of starting to come around now a little bit for us and we're we're not sort of sat down the wrong end of the table um so there's lots of things to be happy about and we've got to ruin newcastle's day but i'm still looking at like the skip hoivier midfield in a 43-1 thinking hmm how's that gonna look like next week and the week after um we've got west ham and then united uh in in the league next think that'd be quite interesting um i'm also interested in like so Ndombele played as a number 10 and he came towards the play a lot Mm -hmm. and normally with Nuno it's really quite the opposite of that right everyone pushes up right the if anything like Hoibier should be running up to, to go be the second number 10 and everyone should be moving away from the play so I'm curious as to how much that was instructional whether that is sort of Nuno's new thing or how much Ndombele was like well I'm just going to take this into my own hands and, and, and make things happen for us anyway because I'm not getting the ball if I just hang around next to Kane or match or whatever so uh, yeah be interesting to see more or less of that in, in the coming matches as well 
I do think the the inclusion of Romero now in the last few games has really helped us. His passing out the yes. back has, has been very good. He breaks lines beautifully. Um, one of the benefits about watching this on Argentinian TV was immediately after the game they did a spotlight on Cuti, and it was it was fabulous to watch. He's such a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do agree that there are issues with the Skip Hjoyberg partnership. I thought Hjoyberg had one of his better games for us. I thought his one touch passing was pretty good. His long range passing was pretty good, and you know he got a nice assist but yeah the long term I'm not sure those two work but then Skip also had a very good game but it was all about Ndombele he pretty much turned the game and he owned that match and he, he was fabulous and I hope this is I hope this is the start of of him really getting the minutes that he should be getting on the pitch and and start producing everything that he is capable of yeah he was he was magnificent um so I, I've mentioned this before but I've had a theory that there's never really been an issue with Ndombele playing 90 minutes it was just Mourinho's preference to take him off because he liked fresh legs fair enough mm. you know I'd, I'd have rather have left Ndombele on but I've also I think that's a legitimate thing for a manager to take off an attacking midfielder and replace him with another no issue there but Ndombele ran um, 11.27 kilometers in this match the furthest of any Spurs player on the pitch uh, by quite a margin to be honest by 0.4 kilometers that's pretty impressive Mm-hmm. Um, looked very capable. I mean, I definitely think there were times earlier in the season when he was just getting his fitness, bearing in mind he didn't have a yeah. preseason where he did look sluggish. But for me, prior to that, I, I think his tiredness slash laziness, as it's reported elsewhere, is oft overstated. And I think he's the type of player who looks tired from minute one, but isn't. It's just his gait, his style, his you know, language, his language sort of, style. He's also got yeah. this got this delicious big butt on him, and he likes to <laughs> stick it out when he runs, fully yeah. caked up. Um, and, and, it, and it makes him look like slightly odd. It's not a it's not a normal running style. It's not something you'd com- think about when you think of elite athletes in central midfield. But he's he's just fine, I think, athletically. I really do. Um, he was brilliant. Every time he got the ball, he looked to make something happen. He took his goal superbly, kind of using Lascelles as a, as a shield and bending it round him. So Darlow had no sight of the ball when it left his foot. Um, actually, that that goal came from a long ball. Uh, which I thought was interesting. I think it was Dyer's long ball out to Regulon. It was. Uh, both Dyer and Romero, I thought, were excellent with their long passing in this match. You know, don't really want to see us play the ball long all the time, but they're both good at it, so so that's good. Um, it was a strange match. As Nathan said, it's, it's, it's you know, not wanting to shit on anyone's happiness, but there are still, there are still some issues to solve. That said, if this is what we get for 12 of the opposition teams we're going to face twice this season, then absolutely fine. It's it's not the end of the world. We can get through to the end of the season with Nuno and probably finish top six, top seven, and then have a think about what we want to do in terms of appointing a slightly more progressive manager who might sort of play a more possession-based style and perhaps get even more out of Ndombele. I think we also need to talk about Harry Kane because he was fantastic as well. Uh, Nathan, did you notice improvement in his performance or was it just a continuation of his upward trajectory that you've seen so far? Yeah, I think it's it's that thing. It's his fitness coming around and at the same time, our performance is improving a little so that he's receiving the ball one he's receiving the ball and two when he does receive the ball he's not out of breath so like and it's just like oh look he's still a really good player and he's still gonna like you know put performances in for Tottenham who I don't think he hates by any means so um you know all all, all of the discussion around him sort of not care anymore is gonna quickly disappear um I, he's still one of the best players in the world which is not too surprising to discover yeah anything for you Bardi and Kane's performance that stood out uh, not really. Like Nathan says, he was running in behind, which we haven't seen for a while, instead of always coming short. Yeah. yeah he had a nice little dribble in um, the second half, going around the outside, going towards the byline. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Nice assist. Beautiful goal. Very happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If the, if the snake continues to score, he'll become a, he'll become a goat again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he was very impressive. And like you say, he'll get fans back on side far more quickly with those kind of performances. Mm. Um, I, I think also it's worth highlighting that this wasn't a completely one-sided affair. I mean, obviously Newcastle got their early goal, but that wasn't the only thing they created. I, I think in terms of their expected goals, 
perhaps they were a little shy. But in the the non-shot expected goals, they showed up better, um, 0.9 to our 1.4. And I think that speaks to them having some pretty good situations that they just didn't take advantage of. The one that comes to mind is at 2-1 when uh, Wilson played that pass across and Sam Maximan kind of nearly gets a, a fuss on it. I don't know, man. I think I think a lot of these a lot of these stats are weighted because Saint Maximum does crazy things from crazy angles, and most of the time is kind of maybe a bad shot selection or it gets blocked. So I'm not. I don't know. I don't think Newcastle had us after that first five ten minutes. I don't think we were ever really in trouble. Even when um, even when it was three two, there was never really a fear that they were going to produce something that would that would hurt <laughs> us. It was always a case of Tottenham shooting themselves in the foot. I I, I definitely had the fear after Dyer's own goal. I'm not gonna lie. But, but only because of our incompetence, not their not their skill or their ability to create something. Oh yeah, I mean, their team is like, like it's, you put a load of footballers in a tombola thing, spin it round, and out drops eleven players. That's what Newcastle are. And you can have all this money in the world, but I don't know how I don't know how you fix this team. It's going to take a generation of footballers to fix it, even if you've got billions and billions of pounds, because that's a mess. That team Wilson is the is the only player. What maybe you say maximum, but the rest of them, Joe. I mean, I don't even know how he's a footballer. I really like him. I really like him. He's so not a windy player. I like, really I like. Understand. I really like him. I honestly think he's good. I I think they're they're so. Joe lost. Linton, the the big guy that used to be a number nine, but now plays left wing. That that Joe Linton, not Joe I, Linton, but this one. I think he's good. I think he's a Mate. good player. I thought he played well. Carried the ball well. He was a threat. Um, I I I think he's too good for Newcastle. Honestly, uh, I I think they're so lopsided. Their defense and their midfield is just horrible. I, I honestly think Isaac Hayden's the championship player. I think. Longstaff's championship player. I think Joe Willock is 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 fine, but not in the role that he was being asked to play yesterday. Um, and the defence was absolutely awful. The defending for Kane's goal. Oh my goodness! Mm. So no pressure on the ball at all. Shoipia has the ball in space, and then they're going to try and play offside. It's honestly you're taught that at such a young age. It's the basics of football. If you're going to play offside, you have to have pressure on the ball. You can't just let a player pick a time the pass to the man running through madness but that wasn't the only time like that happened a few times um just totally and utterly disorganized and you can see i mean steve bruce isn't a good manager we've known this for a while but you can see sort of how bad they've become um and weirdly so i I haven't watched newcastle this season before um i've seen highlights but i've not seen a full match before this match and i just sort of assumed they'd be playing low block because that's what steve bruce newcastle always did but no they were they were playing with a relatively high line they were trying to high press and i was surprised and it, it was very imbalanced and not working at all Steve Bruce, he's just one of these managers that I think has been, his hand has been forced by the Newcastle support who want to see some kind of attacking football. But their their best bet is to low block and counter with, with their with their. For sure. That's what they should be doing. They beat us um, 1-0 at White Hart Lane by doing that. They got a, a point last year, I think it was last year, with the dire handball by doing the same. That's what they should do, but it's just a manager who's trying to prove something and getting it all wrong. And they will get relegated. I'm pretty sure they'll go down. And that'll be quite funny to watch see how they spend one billion pounds in the championship i honestly would be so happy if they got relegated it would it would be the best thing that's happened in football for a long time um let's it talk- won't matter they would just spend their way back up from the, like the championship would just give them an easier platform to begin building a team from yeah it's funny though isn't it it sure. would be funny, it would be funny. <laughs> sure. <laughs> let's talk about that incredible incident with the the fan being taken ill because i, I think it deserves a mention so i don't think enough's been made of how Sergio Regulon and Eric Dyer essentially saved someone's life. Um, Regulon sort of is made aware of what's going on, runs over to the referee. Essentially, it's him that causes the game to be stopped. And then Eric Dyer is so quick thinking in the moment, rushes over to the, the physio and tells him what's happening and like motioning, you know, get the get the chest pads, get the defibrillator. And off the physio goes with the defibrillator. Minutes later, the person has been revived and is on his way to hospital. And from what we hear, he's in a comfortable state and is responsive. And that's just absolutely incredible that that happened. There was a, there was a doctor in the crowd who also had um, a big, who also played a major part in that. But I think what struck me is that we often think that the players are totally detached from what's happening in mm. the crowd. And that kind of proves that they're not. They are, they, they, they can hear. They are. I mean, that 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 reaction there wouldn't have been like a huge. It would have been quite.
quite a small reaction. Just those around the incident would have would have known what was going on, and that 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 confusion was able to transmit itself onto the pitch. So it does show that the players are fully aware of what's happening. Um, yeah, and they reacted well. I think the kind of high-profile incidents over the last few years has really put this at the forefront mm-hmm. and just really has made defibrillators... We will start seeing more and more defibrillators pop up. And if you live somewhere, you should find out where your where your closest one is because it can save someone's life. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, Reglon was such a sweetheart after the match as well when he was being asked to talk about it, very modest and just concerned for the person who was... Who was suffering, which was which was really nice. Um, and then, as we said at the start, David Jindler, who who had suffered cardiac arrests um, a few years ago, was just incredible in speaking about it. I mean, I learned something. I, my my first day is slightly out of date, and I hadn't realised now that the advice is not to bother with the the breaths and just go straight to the compressions and, and focus on the compressions. So I was yeah, I I found it educational. It was really well handled by Jindler and um, and Sky. I have to say. Anything to add, Nathan? Uh, well, I, I missed um, I missed the studio going back to Ginola. I missed the end of the first half, and I also missed the sort of nervy final three minutes because I like when I like when what happened with Ericsson, I was watching with someone who who has a specific anxiety mm. around heart attacks, and uh, so I did miss some of the game as as a result of that, and, and was dealing with that. Um, and it was quite a distraction and it was, it was quite, um, mm-hmm. it was quite major. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of weird how like the, the, the medical team is like right there, you know, yeah. for the players. And, um, I'm trying, I can't, I'm trying, I can't find the words that I want to find right now. I'm struggling a little bit. Um, no, I think I know what you're saying. That the, the the fans, the fan in this case, was reliant on the players' physio. Yeah, I mean something's wrong there, isn't it? that? Why why were they not able to get a defibrillator from a different part of the stadium to the person more quickly? Um, I mean, the thing is, it it's fine. The person's life is saved. That's all we care about. But it does sort of make you wonder a little bit about safety procedures and being able to alert people quickly, alert the right people quickly that someone's in distress and needs help. It's pretty scary. I mean, being taken ill in a big crowd is is a horrible thing to have to consider. Um, yeah, really sort of potentially particularly traumatizing for someone like Hoybier, who obviously was on the pitch when it, oh, the same thing happened to Eric. Cameras zooming in on Hoybier for the first five minutes, like Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, that can't have been nice for him. I mean, there will be a lot of bad memories wrapped up in that. Yeah. So, but but I was so proud of the way Regulon and Dyer handled themselves and um, the situation. It was. They're just good people. Eric Dyer yeah. is such a good person. <laughs> I think so. I just love him. I think so. And uh, so, so, so kind to see that he charitably donated a goal out of yeah. nothing to Newcastle. <laughs> Very sweet. Very sweet of him to to awkwardly stoop to head the ball and let it hit his knee and roll into the far post in the most. Ridiculous manner. It was uh, it was very Eric Dyer, but we we love him nonetheless. I, also, don't you think it's really weird that the whole footballing world is so concerned for this fan on the pit yes. on the sidelines having uh, yes. having potential cardiac arrest, and yet there are all these atrocities that the new owners of Newcastle United have, have done, yeah. and that is waved away. This this does occur to me, and it's it's difficult to talk about without sounding like you're downplaying. Um, you know what did happen at the stadium, and and the actions of Regulon and Dyer, and the actions of the medical staff, and the fans in the stands, and all of that. It's like it's definitely not the case that like um the pundits and commentators shouldn't give emotional gravity to what is happening mm-hmm. there at the stadium, but at the same time they are sort of dismissing away the slaughter of thousands of Yemeni people with sort of and 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 the with the line like and to some controversial yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that's what thousands of people over the other side of the world get um so yes, there is definitely a sort of a disconnect there, uh, a disharmony. It's like an out of sight, out of mind type uh, response. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, we don't have to face up and deal with that. Whereas this one thing that's happening on the sidelines, we have to watch. It's that. happening in front of us. Yeah, yeah, it's unavoidable. We can pretend the other thing hasn't happened, as some Newcastle fans have done. They they've they've made excuses. They've been reaching for excuses to to enable them to sort of celebrate and enjoy this takeover. Um, 
Yeah, they use it. They're using their kind of discontent with Mike Ashley as a as a reason to to accept this, which is it's not really the, it's not really the the right stance to take. And I'm I'm someone that's you know we've all as you've already kind of touched upon. I'd quite like to see a lot of money come into Spurs, but obviously not at the expense of of this kind of regime. Mm-hmm. But them using Mike Ashley or Mike Ashley was terrible. Yes, he he, he is pretty he's pretty bad, but he's not kind of this level bad. Yeah, absolutely. Ashley is um, not a very nice person, but I don't think he's ever ordered the murder of a journalist um, no comment uh let's let's go back to the game briefly uh voodoo chopstick dan says for me we've looked much better at keeping possession and also winning the ball back in the last few games which has Definitely. then made our team look a lot better overall what are some of the reasons you that you think has made this happen has there been a change in style or is it more down to squad availability fitness increased familiarization opposition setting up badly and i kind of want to offer all of the above i mean i think yeah all of those things have, have factored in and um and, and made us look better but bardi is there anything specific that stood out to you in the last few games i think skip coming in at half time against arsenal changed things his his presence in the team allows us to win the ball back i think romero is adept at winning the ball back early plus fitness plus you know all of the above like you like you guys said but i think romero and skip have been a huge factor in this Nathan, anything you'd add? I, I, I still have considerable concerns over the topic of keeping possession. Uh, yes, it has been better. I think we've played weaker teams. Um, I think, I think I want to sit this for now, and we'll come back to mm-hmm. it when my if if and when my fears materialise. Um, but on the other hand, I am really, really pleased with our defensive efforts, our pressing efforts um, over the last few yes. few games. Um, fitness has been picking up i do think we're learning system i do think i don't think this is like Nuno's like oh i can't i can't play medium low block with with a team who want to contend for champions league places like he i think there was always the intention if you look at his porto you look at his valencia they were at least like moderately high pressing sides or they both teams um mix up between here's a moment where we want to press high and here's here's our medium block and so it will be a continual switch between the two depending on who we're playing depending on the the game state etc um but i did think that this was coming or at least an attempt of this was coming and i was concerned about like our capacity as a squad and 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 i did a video about you know concerns about whether harry kane is is someone who can play in a high pressing side anymore and what that might do to the rest of it and all that kind of thing and and those fears are, are largely um calmed i i'm i'm feeling really good about our our ability to compete for the ball all the way up the pitch and i think that that is really really significant so for me that is the major point of, of optimism over the last few weeks is 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 our our pressing performance we had a um a PPDA, which is uh, opposition passes before defensive action against Newcastle of 9.15, which sort of puts us, if you look at the averages of teams, that puts us right in amongst the, the most highly intense pressing teams in the league. Obviously, it's Newcastle and everything you want to say about that, um, but we recorded like seven points something against Aston Villa. Um so we're we're really we suffocated two not great teams in a row. Um, now there will be teams who have you know their own press resistant creative midfielders who are going to help them out and 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 better possession schemes and things like that. But I'm I'm really really optimistic about fitness of the team is has shot up recently over the last couple of weeks. Um, and uh, we're doing the thing. <laughs> we're doing the thing that was so significant for us for a long time and then went away and, and caused years and years of chaos. It's a pretty big deal, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think um, it's nice to have pressing back in our lives. And as you say, the team is, is well set for it. You know, I, I think Skip really helps in that regard. He's he's a smart player. He knows where to position himself to back up the press. He's not always one of the ones to go, but he is... Uh, um, He's a safety. He's a safety net, isn't he, at the back of midfield? And I think he does that pretty well. Um, there were there were a couple of times where Newcastle played through our press. In fact, one of them was the time that I mentioned earlier, where Wilson got that pass into um, St. Maximin that they managed to break through our press in that move. But on the whole, I thought we did a good job with the pressing. We looked well organised. Um, so I would say 
I would say that one of the flaws or deliberate flaws in our system is that we are susceptible to wing play and Newcastle exposed that straight away. So tip, so we, we essentially leave our one, the one or two out on the flanks. Our, our wide players are inside. So they're there to help with the press and then support the second, challenging for the second balls when we regain possession. And that means if you double up, you get a 2v1. It's like, you can have that. We'll give you that. We'll give you that 2v1. And they did it pretty well, Newcastle, and they got crossing. Um, but I think Nuno knows that and he's fine with it. It's like, that's your that's your thing you can have. Um, but you're not going to be able to go through the middle too often. And also, think, if we if we win the ball back, you're going to suffer for it. I think that's all right. It's not a bad thing. I know me, me and you yesterday had quite a bit of chat around their first goal. And I think, I think you can do that. I think you can... Just give up the wings if yeah. your centre backs are lined up properly. And I, I thought, I thought Dyer got it wrong, and Romero was a little bit of fault as well. But I thought had Dyer taken up a proper position at the near post, that ball gets cleared, and there's there's no danger there. I just thought he 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 crept too close to his own goal. He almost he was feared his positioning, so he just went defensive minded. I'm going to get closer to my goal to protect it rather than be proactive. He's a very react, uh, reactive defender, and he he turns like a sofa, and that's a huge problem <laughs> see i thought he was trying to cut out the ball across the face and i, I thought that was fine i, I quite like dyer's position whereas romero is a little slow off the mark but i am more than happy to forgive romero particularly as he just had a long journey back from south america and he had a really good game aside from that as well um in terms of possession i'm with nathan on this it's not there yet the possession game is not there yet and i don't know if it will be i just don't think it's something nuno prioritizes um, but we might see. We might see. There, there are no sort of build-up patterns. It's very, it's very. Um, what's the word? Individualistic. Yeah. Spontaneous is the word I was looking for. It's like okay. give the ball to Lucas and see what he can do. Give the ball to Ndombele and see what he can do. Give the ball to Son. They, they all like to get on the ball and run forward, which is what we saw from Nuno's Wolves. They had players like Yotta and uh, Pedense and. Um, Traore. Traore, yeah, exactly. Players who are great are great ball carriers and create things from their own individual pieces of quality. Um, and I'm still not seeing sort of many patterns through, of passing through our midfield, utilising our fullback, so I think are really useful for that. And maybe, maybe that's the next thing to come, and if that happens, I'll be really happy. But equally, at the moment, it's not too much of an issue. We're, we're finding some joy with our transitional player, with our long balls. And um, as long as that continues, it's it's fine. It's, it's just OK. Jamie T says, at what level or style of opposition do you think this system starts to have problems? It seems good enough to beat lower quality opposition due to relying on the squad's talent and feel like the defensive instincts make us more solid in the bigger games, but I'm not convinced yet. Nathan, is that something you worry about for the forthcoming matches? Yeah, definitely. And I think that, we, so we have Man United coming up in a couple of weeks and I think that that's going to be quite telling. United obviously not in a not in a great run of form, in a bad run of form. Um, questions over Solskjaer again, quite rightly, I think. Yeah. Solskjaer, <laughs> I'm about to go off on a tangent on United. Solskjaer's in this really interesting interesting level where he's just sort of just good enough forever he's mm. just like he's like mm. he's not terrible like oh, i need to get him out and he's not good but he's just like just he's like consistently scraping the bar of what's acceptable for united which is like it's kind of like the Venk wenger thing it's like for years it was just sort of just sort of just good enough slowly slowly like decreasing by a point a year um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, could, could we have a microcosm of that ourselves this, this season? <laughs> oh, hundred oh, percent. Um. Anyway, so we do have United coming up. I don't know who we got after that, but like, there, there'll be. T- thing is that, like, it's what I was saying before about like how significant getting our pressing sorted is. It's yeah. like I have major concerns over over our our possession model and how we're going to play with the ball. Um, but despite that, because our defensive game, mm-hmm. our up and down the pitch defensive game has come on quite some way, we can still be in games. It's not like we're just going to be, well, so what are our, what, like the Palace game maybe? What's our, what are our, when have we just been completely played off the pitch? Arsenal away. Yeah, yeah really it's not. Gonna, I don't think we're going to have a game like Arsenal away again, or we're not going to see think much like that because even though we we may still sometimes offer very little on the ball, 
we're still going to be present in the game when the opposition have the ball. We're still going to offer threat on the counter. We're still going to be able to to turn the ball over. So I think that we have now like raised our floor to like <laughs> not under threat of relegation. You know, but better than that, we're like at, at least a mid-table team on our, on our worst day, and I think that that is really significant. Nathan, do you know what game is going to be absolutely wild? Oh God! Twenty first of November, Tottenham versus <laughs> right. Leeds. Uh, yeah, yeah. That'd be for all. That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just gonna be the most back and forth game. Oh uh, yeah, it'll be Jesus. like a game of basketball, but we'll have fun at least. Hopefully, <laughs> we've got loads of questions now. Um, do you want to do some more ownership? I think we better get to it, Wendy. Let's let's do some ownership stuff. Okay, this is from Jamie Loxley. He says, "Do you worry that if Levy and Enoch left, we would be bought out by regimes such as the Saudis at Newcastle that have a poor record of human rights?" I think I've made my position on this pretty clear, but Bardi, how would you how would you handle that? Would you would you fall so, out of love with with Tottenham? So a couple of weeks ago, when it, when well, there's not even a couple of weeks ago. Time goes fast. I think it was last week I spoke about this, and it's just like I've I've spent the whole of my life waiting for Tottenham to do something and never done anything, which is not an excuse. It's like Newcastle fans now excusing what's happening because of Mike Ashley. Do I want Tottenham to win loads of stuff? Yeah. Do I want Tottenham to win loads of stuff being backed by a regime like this? Obviously not. But if the, if Tottenham were given this tomorrow, would I stop supporting Tottenham? I, I, no, I, I I don't think I can. I, in the same kind of way, Mourinho, I can't believe I'm going to compare Mourinho to the Saudis because obviously there's, there's differences there. But in the same kind of way, I don't know if I could cut Tottenham out of my life. Would I be able just to turn off everything Tottenham because of the owners? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I think we, I think we need to speak to a Man City fan, like an old school Man City fan, to see what their point of view on this, rather than rather than the new lot. I don't know, Wendy. It's um, it's not what you want. You don't want your team associated with something with a regime like this. But then you do kind of want your Tottenham to win. I'm going to say no because that's it's probably it's the right thing to say and it's what it's it's what it's it's the stance I should take. I I kind of want to see Tottenham win a Champions League. So until that moment happens, I'm going to sit here and say no, I don't want it to happen because it hasn't happened, and then I'll decide when it happens. Is there is there any way that we can win a Champions League now in this modern game and for it to actually mean what it should mean to win a Champions League? Of course, I mean we got to a Champions League with Lorente up front. It 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 is possible you can win the league you can win the Champions League to do that you would need a set of incredible circumstances which every season as as more and more of these owners turn up gets more gets less and less likely but it can be done it can be done the wholesome way now I'm not saying Tottenham are a wholesome club we've got a dark history of being bad things and not too long ago we were pushing for the European Super League but it, it, it can be done but as you said the window of opportunity is closing all the time and it's going to get to the point where Tottenham are going to need a backer of, of some size to be able to compete with this whether it's someone from whether Amazon bias or something else like that otherwise I will continue to love Tottenham but it's I don't think we're going to end up doing anything real of real significance like global significance we can maybe do some great things and bring through some more players like Harry Kane and Harry Winks and the rest of them but yeah the chance of winning and becoming a dynasty for example is, is is diminishing unless you've got billions and billions of pounds behind you yeah and the thing is that if someone's got billions and billions of pounds the likelihood is that they are ill-gotten gains and yes there's a sliding scale of of bad but the chances are that your new owners are going to be pretty bad which brings us nicely onto the next question this is from uh ben luck who is um us Ben says, Daniel Levy and Enoch get blowback from the fan base, but do you think as the only English owners of a top six club, the overall sentiment is harsh? Does their reasonably local connection garner them any benefit of a doubt? Nathan, we've been critical of, uh, of Dan, Daniel Levy in the past, um, but comparatively, he looks like a pretty great owner right now. Uh, well, I, um, I guess you can include Liverpool although eh, but essentially the only owner who is like running the club 
as a business in legitimately and and i have criticisms of that obviously but like <laughs> daniel levy gets criticized because he's not making a huge personal loss to launder his own image yeah. and in doing so improve the football club that's the point of comparison it's well he's not spending like city and and, and chelsea and now newcastle we're spending and therefore he's bad like mike ashley was bad mike ashley was a fucking dickhead and of course he sucked money out of the club but like that's that that was default right mm-hmm. that's like and Levy's not taking money out of the club like he he he's keeping the money within the club so that he can eventually sell it and i bet he will be fucking gutted that the kingdom of saudi arabia yep. have bought newcastle and not spurs because that is like his prospective customer base right he's trying to sell tottenham he's never not trying to sell tottenham his prospective customer base is like 15 billionaires and one of them has just picked up a different club who was shit instead of his one his products that he's polished and polished and polished for years look at this training ground look at this stadium look at these players look at these uh, growing fan base look at this london location and then uh you know look at the <laughs> skywalk like, look no, at this cheese room no we want newcastle we'll, just, we'll get newcastle we don't we, we can build our own stadium what are you talking about that's is they've got 500 billion in their in their investment fund and it's, what does it matter what Daniel Levy's done in a couple of years? That's that's nothing. It's like a double whammy to Levy as well, because not only is one of his potential buyers got another team, they're now going to overtake us inevitably. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a thousand awful things about the the sports watching of the Saudi regime, and way 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 down the list. And we are a Spurs podcast. Is that there's now like one <laughs> less place for us to compete, and we're now like locked in, never qualify with the Champions yeah. League ever again. Yeah. Because there's just like an an absurdity of of the Premier League just being this this um this place like we used to do war right we used to have world wars and now conflict is is acted out in the spending of Premier League teams by 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 rich states um it's just a completely absurd situation and it's and it's really horrific obviously um that the the horrendous things that the the saudi regime do will now be uh replaced with the image of newcastle lifting trophies in rainbow laces um, in rainbow in rainbow laces yeah yeah i wonder um i wonder how because there's been the uk have sold arms to saudi arabia for a long long time um under successive tory governments under the tory government in coalition with lib dem under labor governments right we've sold arms to saudi arabia mm-hmm. and the criticism has sort of begun to pick up a little bit in the last few years and i wonder if it's been you know oh could you please improve your public image a little bit because we're coming under a little scrutiny oh okay we're buying newcastle you know um i mean there's there's been a long held there's been a continuous effort for, on on the part of the saudi arabia to to improve their appearance um over the last decade or so since the the crown prince took over um various investments and and a very soft relaxing like so a few years ago women were able to drive for the first time and that's sort of the like the not even scraping the bar scraping way way under the bar kind of stuff that that is going on to sort of improve saudi arabia's image and and the more that like the the dealings of Saudi Arabia are, are globalized and included in, in Western trades, the more they'll sort of slowly modernize, but it's like, it's at the expense of like what will happen to the people of Yemen. So, um, it is just really deeply horrendous. And it is also the only way that Spurs will move on from, from leaving Enoch. Now, obviously, like, I don't know. The, the Saudi royal family are about as like comic book evil as you can possibly get. Um, so they're off the list of <laughs> prospective owners, probably until the Premier League relax rules enough that you can own two Premier League clubs. The other prospective buyers aren't much, much better, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I, this is the thing that like, it's, it's easy for me to say I would stop following Tottenham if, if we were owned by um, a party who were responsible for slaughtering thousands of people or, you know, lesser evil things. And then obviously when it happens, um, it doesn't always happen. There are a lot of, you know, City fans who said they would stop following City. And like, I think what normally happens and will especially happen for me and us because like, 
we have a Spurs podcast and we'd run a Spurs Patreon and that's my job now is that you're, st- I'm tied in with the club. I'm massively tied in with the club and others aren't tied in through work, but are tied in through family, are tied in through friends, are tied in through their social life. And so you get to this point where you're still like around Spurs. You're still like associated with Spurs, but you've just lost. You don't say we anymore. You say they, but you still watch the games. Mm-hmm. And that is, the, that's the difference. And maybe you don't buy the shirt, but it doesn't matter that you don't buy the shirt because they've got billions of billions, <laughs> you know? And so you just get into this sort of, you become a casual, which is the the worst thing you can possibly be, you know? You become someone who kind of watches Spurs most weeks, but not always, and is like, oh, good, we scored, or checks the result when they get home. Um, but you're not there at the stadium in a regular business. You're not jumping out your, your seat. And, you, and then when you do win that Champions League that you waited a long time for, you don't feel the same about it. You go, cool, good, yeah, no, it's nice that we got that off our back or they got that off their back or, you know, I'm glad to see a team in white lifting that trophy, but you're not, it hasn't made, like, it hasn't made your weekend, it hasn't made your your week or your month or your year, which I think that winning the Champions League can, can do for people. Um so it, I don't want it. I can say I don't want it now, and I believe I'll feel the same after it happens. I don't want it. I do think there are there are more Spurs fans that will take it, and that's just the nature of that's just yeah. the nature of human beings. That's the way it is. It's it, it, the sad thing is this is this is where football's always been going. This is the this is the path that it's always been on, and it's it's unfortunate. I don't know. Is it fortunate? Unfortunate? It's happening in our time, and we're getting to witness it. Daniel Levy, I think we could all agree he would have sold this. He would have sold. Tottenham immediately had they had they bid for Spurs. I I think the only the only thing we can hope for is when it is sold, it's at least something that we can get behind and it's something that we can we can support. It's kind of sad to think about losing Tottenham. It's like a, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if I'm completely honest, I've felt like I've been losing Tottenham for quite a while now. Ah, no, Wendy, come on, you, you love Tottenham. I can see it in your face. I do, <laughs> I do, do love them, but I don't know if I were ten years old now or 12 years old, or 14 maybe, and had an understanding of what's going on, whether I would feel the same way about football as I did when I was 14 years old I think in the would. 90s. I, I think you had listened to Ewan on the um, on the Fighting Cock, Ewan, who's, who's written for us many times, and I did the book club with. He he spoke about the, the, the Premier League and how Spurs were so influential in that being started up because Alan Sugar, our chairman at the time, he made the satellite dishes that Sky That's needed right. to put. Sky needed, Sky wanted the Premier League league alan sugar had the company that made the sky dishes that people put on the side of their house so spurs went for it and you know we we were fully behind that then it's it just i think if you were 14 years old now when you'd be all over tiktok mate doing all your snapchats and everything else supporting spurs i still think the romance of the of football is still there for for youngsters that harry kane and everything else I think as we get, I think I think the problem for us is we've come through in the last few years. We've gone through Pochettino to Mourinho through a pandemic, and then we've seen this kind of monster of of Twitter, social media come back and attack certain individuals and stuff, which has maybe had an effect on you that way. Maybe I mean, so the 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 Saudi situation is that I mean that's a game changer. The human rights aspect is a game changer. I walk away instantly, to be honest. If they if if anything like that happens to Spurs, then the podcast's done. I'm afraid because it's just Barty sat here talking to himself. Um, but <laughs> even even with someone like let's say there is a a moralistic billionaire somewhere who's just. I mean, yeah. I am shaking my head. Yeah, I, obviously it's not a thing, but um, Go on. the anti-competitiveness of it just makes me fall out of love as well. Because what's the point? It's just like let's 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 pull let's draw straws to see which of these four mega rich teams win the Champions League this year. But has it ever been any different? Has, has yeah, football... like it definitely. I, don't, I just. I just think this has just gone to the next level where instead of using a rock, they've then gone to knives. Instead of knives, they've gone guns. And now they're running around with bazookas. I just think it's just everything else that has just increased. That Tottenham, Tottenham's glory team in the, 60, in the 60s was built upon financial dominance and being able to go out and sign Jimmy Greaves for 999000 And football has always been those with money have had the power and had the players and everything else. I just think it's it's just that, but just multiplied by a million times. So I don't think there's anything has changed in football in that sense. It's always been the ones with the most money have been the the best teams. Maybe 
once everyone gets owned by billionaires, there will be some competitiveness back in it, and I'll feel better about that side of it. But it won't be competitive based on performances on the pitch. It will just be on who spends more that year or who spends it better that year. Yeah. And then the competition is is a boardroom competition. You know, uh, I, I, and what happened last year won't matter next year. Every every it's um it's like a children's TV show where every episode is completely independent of what happened in the previous one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it will. I mean, in in the crazy ways, like it's if everybody gets billions of pounds, then it becomes almost difficult because everybody wants the same players. And it, I think it will always come down to football. No matter how much money is involved, even if you go to grassroots level, will always still fundamentally be about getting the right eleven players on the pitch with the right manager behind them playing the right type of football I I think that 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 will all that would never change obviously if you've got more money you're allowed to make mistakes Pep Guardiola can go and sign multiple fullbacks every year because he's got that he's got the money to be able to do that until he finds the right combination of the right pairing so no matter how much money there is in football it will still come down to it will still come down to the players it will still come down to tactics it will still come down to managers so there is at least that glimmer of hope that PSG haven't won the Champions League Man City haven't won the Champions League because because football is still got so many variables once the players step on the pitch. Let's uh, let's do one more question before we call it a day. This has been quite a long podcast. This is from in fact, which one should I do? Any preferences? Yeah, um, Kean works with me, and he slipped that in. Kean Melanian, is it? Yeah. Okay. This is from Kean Melanian, who says, "How has Winks changed tactically slash statistically over the last two or three seasons? Once Pep was reportedly interested, now we feel like we'd be lucky to get twenty to thirty million for him. What happened? Uh, this is timely because." Um, I was reminded someone sent me a, a link to Winks' last game for our under-21s, as it was then, I think, against United. And so this must be about maybe six years ago, maybe five or six years ago. And Winks is like this dynamic, box to box, one two touch, driving force in midfield, playing good long balls, picking up pieces from from attacks, um, playing incisive passes, playing quickly, um, getting up and down the pitch. That's how I remembered Winks from the academy, and uh, I never thought Winks was one of the best players in the academy. He he just wasn't. He was always someone who was a good player, but not a standout. But then he hit this point where he seemed to suddenly physically develop and was able to cope with uh, with men's football. And he was genuinely an asset for Spurs for for a while, and was looking like he was going to be a good player. And then he had that horrendous injury where he kind of ran into the the hoardings or the side of the pitch, and that kind of just ruined it for Winks. To be honest, I think he might have already been on a bad path because he was being asked to play more and more defensive roles and that didn't suit his game. Uh, But he was a lot better than he is now. So what do you guys think? Is it simply injuries or is there something else about Winks that's uh, held him back? So I was just looking through his statistics. I looked at tackles, and those have been pretty consistent over his senior career. I looked at interceptions. They've been pretty consistent over his senior career. Looked at shots. There was a slight uptick earlier on, because I think that, that Pochettino had in mind the idea of him becoming sort of a, yeah. a tertiary goal scorer, and then that quickly went away. But dribbles. Um, yeah. So in 16-17, 0.8 dribbles per match, and then 17-18, up to 2.1. And then back down after that, always below one. So there were 0.9 the next season, one the next uh, in in 1819, 0.6 in 1920, 0.4 this season. I think that he just doesn't have the sort of explosivity and and sort of dynamism on the ball. And I do think that is related to that injury. I think that, um, like, he was never like an an outstanding ball carrier, but he had the ability to, like, receive on the turn well and, 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 and read pressure and take the ball well under that circumstances. And now that has diminished. Now he's, I feel like he's, and I, did I mention this on the previous podcast or was it the, the Q&A? I think previous podcast we spoke a bit okay. about it. Yeah. The, the, and it shows up here in, in the dribbles, not so much in the tackles and interceptions. He's still, he's still diving in as much as he ever did, uh, off possession. But when he has the ball, he really doesn't want to be engaged and he, and he moves, he always moves away from pressure. He won't mm. receive where the opposition are. And, um, 
and so he's limited just to his passing and his passing is is good and nothing better than good and nothing worse than good mm. and that's therefore uh, you know uh, uh, a not great defensive player who will now not take on a man under basically any circumstances who's an okay passer is a pretty limited player he he gives something with his passing uh, where we especially when we're we've been limited in that area for for a long time um but that is just not enough on its own to and and his development through that injury I believe um has just not come on the thing is that the 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 rumors that pep was interested in him came sometime into his performances dropping off so mm. um that's just the transfer rumor mill being weird or guardiola being weird or whatever bardi where do you see him ending up and sort of in what system yeah i, I had forgotten about that injury because there was a time when winks was a pretty good um 75 minute substitute for dembele He'd oh come yeah on and- yeah and and help see out games and he was pretty successful in that. Um, where I see him now is, he, I said for a while he needs he needs to leave Tottenham to to restart his career. But that um, Nathan's talk about his dribbles does kind of like ring a bell that he he is unable to break press. He's not really good at progressing the ball that way. And he will have a decent career. He will have a middling career at a middle table Premier League team and do and do okay. I think he I think he'll be alright at Southampton. It's where um, our youth products go to to live out a decent life. And other players as well, Romeo, those kind of stuff. Yeah, I think he'll play pretty well alongside Romeo for Southam. Okay, um, we've got masses of questions, and we will tackle them in our next episode. But uh, for now, this has been the Extra Inch Do Sports Washing. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.